I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. You may have come across my guest for today uh, because of his world-famous 2010 TED Talk, which was titled The Happy Planet Index, an approach that basically says we can be happier, not only live longer, and we can do this not at the expense of the planet. Definitely worth you seeing it because it has been viewed by more than two and a half million people. Nick is a statistician, but as many describe him as a statistician with a soul because he uses his statistical skills as well as his soft people skills to focus on quantifying things that normally are harder to quantify, such as uh, the topic of happiness. He founded, uh, and he is the CEO of a company called Friday, which measures and improves employee happiness in order to help businesses build a positive, productive work culture. And the result of that, of him working with more than a thousand clients, is that he helping them create a measurement of their employees' happiness and hopefully improve the employees' experience at work. He's been in the field of happiness for more than 25 years, tracking people's quality of life with an emphasis on their emotional experience. And in 2011, Nick Marx was named one of the top 10 original thinker by Directors Magazine and one of the seven most powerful ideas by Forbes Magazine. I've been very curious about the impact of the pandemic and how it affected our happiness at work. And I think you probably can guess what the answer to that is going to be. But it's definitely something that I've been waiting to ask Nick about. Nick Marks. Numbers and happiness, in my view, are actually quite, uh, quite associated. So did you stumble upon it? I mean, that whole idea of the Happy Planet Index, when you came across that, was that like, mm, let's just measure something? Well, no, I mean, I'd done my first indicator on, it was called the Index of Sustainable Economic Welfare in 1994. So I'd been interested in quality of life measurement for a good 12, 15 years before the Happy Planet Index. And I think that for me, that's how ideas come to being in that you probably start working on something and then a simple idea comes 10 years later, takes you a long time to get to simplicity. So yeah, so I've always been interested in how you measure quality of life i did health statistics at university and things like that so it's sort of always been there but the happiness bit of it came from my mother my mother was a family therapist so i got interested in therapy men's groups there's lots of men's groups when i was young because i didn't really know how to be a man in a world i thought was pretty misogynist you know so things like that you just do lots and lots of different things and you kind of then come into your okay this is kind of my nick take on it let's see and then it became rather bizarrely popular, which I'm sure you must have found as well. It's like when you suddenly do something and you, you, you're doing it for yourself, aren't you? Because, I mean, your story is so powerful about you know, reflecting on your son's death and everything. And then you turn it into something and suddenly people connect with it. And that's like, it must be really, it's surprising, isn't it? You know, I mean, like when Happy Planning this came out, literally, I thought a few newspapers in the UK might publish it and just went, 
it went through the roof. I mean, it was very yeah. eye-opening when you think about it. And, and I think its beauty was in its simplicity. It's like everyone was measuring life expectancy. Some people were, were trying to measure well-being and, you know, some people who, of course, were measuring the impact on the planet, you know, and the environmental sustainability. But you just put them together so nicely. It's like, look, you know, let's try to be happy as we live a long life and let's not kill the planet in the process. Is that... Hey, you know, I mean, it's, it's really pretty. I mean, if any, anyone who loves statistics and numbers, it's a pretty way of looking at a, what I normally call a cube, right? It's like three yeah. different dimensions and you see them yeah. in a nice index. How has it been? I mean, I'm sure you spoke about this like a million times. It started 2006. Your TED talk was 2010. So say 2010 until today, are we doing better on the happy planet index at all um no not particularly not particularly <laughs> i mean slightly better on well-being through the global population but worse in ecological footprint we're about to we're going to try and crunch the numbers for 2020 actually me and Serma, the statistician i work with and try and launch it for the the big climate change conference in november so we hope to do another one later this year we never managed to turn around that quickly so we probably have to take some we won't get all of the ecological data together, but we'll get enough that we can see it. And we've got to have this difficult message to do, like 2020 would have been better from a Happy Planet Index perspective than the years before, because no one flew, there was, there was lower carbon, and life expectancy wasn't really impacted massively. I mean, I know we it talk wasn't. a lot about all the deaths, but at a population level, I mean, it, obviously each death individually and early death is hard, but it's not the Spanish flu that took a huge chunk into life expectancy data in, in 19, 1920. So it'll be, you know, all the Black Death, which got rid of a third of the population. You know, it's not, it's not on that scale, but it has impacted how people move. So there will be reduced carbon. So in a way, it just will show us that. So I don't think anyone's come out of this year unchanged. We've all reflected on everything. So one would hope that people will reflect on climate change and biodiversity and things like that as well. And also their own happiness, you know, making choices for unhappiness. There seems to be definitely a lot of reflection, but I was just going to say there isn't a lot of happiness. I think what happened is those who were who had the propensity to be happy, I think became happier because reflection time allowed them to yeah. work yeah. on themselves. But I don't know if, I mean, from your work in Friday and you measure happiness of employees for more, you know, I think more than a thousand companies. Do you feel that 2020 has made people unhappier on average, like the, the majority? So... Yeah, I can show you a graph. <laughs> can I screen share a second? <laughs> I love. Can you let me screen share a second? Yeah, of course. I'm going to release this later this week because it's not actually out yet. But can you see that graph? I can see that graph. So let me describe it to people. People are going to search for this when you're listening to this. It's how a well-being focus builds lasting resilience. Go for it. Yeah. So here, the graph for the UK drops dramatically in March 2020. And then for the latter part of the year, it drops again, whereas our clients only have one drop. They drop at the beginning. Everyone, COVID took everyone by surprise and they climb back up again and then they stay up. And what that means really is that we've had a, a split where the UK is, as a whole, it's got really weary towards the end of last year. And actually somewhere along the line, our clients, by reflecting each week and talking on their own experience, have managed to sustain levels. That's amazing. 
so the first dip was the first lockdown. People became yeah. very unhappy. And then, yeah. and then as summer started, people started to come back everywhere and including your clients. But then as the second lockdown started to come in, people became unhappy again. But those who have been constantly focusing on your happiness through the work that you do with them stayed, actually, they improved even the, the way the graph looks. It's improved a little bit uh, through the second lockdown. It's still down on 2019 for them. So I don't think we can make a good news story out of it, but they've not had as bad news. And, they've, and by reflecting on it, every week like stopping and thinking what's gone well what hasn't what can we fix how are you it's helped people maintain through that through that difficult period i mean i i i i found the second lockdowns harder than the first the first was kind of a novelty it was spring the weather was nice and then you know it's sort of like you know the second ones have been like oh okay you know grit your teeth get through it and i think that at least in their working environments we've helped them maintain their their morale but it would be unreasonable to say that they haven't had a dint you know still lower than the year before and also you know a lot of our clients yes they use friday pulse so they can see it measured and yes we really encourage them to talk about it and reflect on it but they also are organizations that are already doing this that's why they're a client of ours you know they they'd be doing lots of other things in the organization too but when i saw the the data for the uk come out which came out in the world happiness report which got published a couple three weeks ago then I suddenly saw they had this huge second dip. And it, this is basically YouGov data from the UK where they're measuring the mood of the nation each week, which I'd sort of vaguely heard about, but I never thought to look at it as making a benchmark or comparative for our clients. And I saw it and I thought, wow, that is actually a benchmark for us because that's how white collar workers, which is typically what our clients are, have done in the UK. So we suddenly had something to compare it to, which, as you know, anyone that's a statistician feels much more confident when they've got something to compare something to. <laughs> numbers! Give me numbers! So the other interesting side of this is that the second dip, interestingly, even though the second lockdown was harder, doesn't seem to have dipped as far down as the first lockdown. So the first lockdown dropped to 70% and then the second yeah. to 80% only. Yeah, the first one down... Yeah, so 30% down, sorry. And the second one, about 20% down. And that's compared to pre-pandemic levels. I think, I don't know, but I think, I mean, the first one was genuinely scary for, I think, all of us. You know, we actually didn't know what this pandemic was going to do. So I think there was a lot of anxiety about the future. You know, for example, you know, I've got an 85-year-old mother and where would she be? She lives on her own. You know, how would it affect her? You're worried about her dying from it, literally. You know, she would have had about a one in six, one in eight chance of dying if she caught it. You know, you're thinking, I don't want her dying alone in a hospital. So you've got all of those sort of things that are going through your mind. So I think it was harder. By the time we came to the second one, I think we understood the level of risk better. We also knew that lockdowns did work in the sense that they did suppress it in the population. So there was probably more and we've said that there's feeling you've done it before so slightly low and people in that first one in march 2020 we, everyone had to rearrange how they worked how they worked there's been a lot of innovation how we worked as we moved suddenly out of the offices i mean offices in london just emptied in that week beginning the i think it was the 14th of march or something like that, just emptied and it was like whoa you know how do we do that how do we get our laptops how do we get our desks how do we get ourselves sorted at home so we didn't have that second disruption the second time around so I think that's why it's slightly lower. But I was surprised it was such a big dip. I mean, I don't know. But I mean, that's what data is good for. It challenges what your assumptions are. You know, that's why I like data. You know, it always challenges me. The way you work with your clients is you actually measure happiness on a weekly basis. Like most companies struggle to do an annual survey, 
right? It's like, <laughs> I remember that. And I say that respectfully because I loved Google when I, when I worked there. It was a nightmare, that whole, we called it employee satisfaction survey. And it wasn't yeah. really happiness. And, you know, there were, the questions were sometimes not clear. When you move them to another country, they were horrendously not clear. And you do that on a weekly basis. So how, how does Friday do that? How does your company do that? Yeah, so I don't think many people, when the annual survey hit their inbox, were delighted. <laughs> I think it's... <laughs> it's like one more thing you have to do today. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, it, you know, the results came back too long after and, you know, okay. no real action was taken. You know how it is. Yes. Yeah, so totally trying to close that and understanding that change comes about by momentum and by positivity. So basically, just totally threw away the idea of the annual survey and goes what we should do is instead of asking a lot infrequently ask a little very frequently and then you get you see then you get the time trends and that becomes interesting you know most businesses have kpis that are or okrs that are moving every month certainly every quarter so can we design something that fitted in that but that gave them a good people indicator and in the end it comes down to simplicity and it's like so how do we how do we do that and so the idea with friday pulse was to say we work typically in week sprints, you know, Monday to Friday, typically, not everybody. And at the end of the week, ask people to reflect on the week and rate it. And effectively, happiness is a rating of that. You know, how happy were you at work this week? Or how did you feel at work this week? At the question we use, you know, is, is asking people to, you know, to say, how was it for you? I very deliberately focus it on people's individual experience, as in, how was it for you? Not, did you deliver something? If I ask people how good was their week, they started thinking about, had they delivered on it? Had they done tasks they were supposed to do? If you say, how have you felt at work this week? They can include it in that, whether they got on with their colleagues, whether they like their work. So it becomes much more about their rounded experience. So it, people don't have any problem in answering the question and they have any problem with response rates. I mean, we do other things to encourage response rates, like we ask a silly question every week so we can get people chatting about something <laughs> sort of tangential, you know? <laughs> like what? What would be a silly question? So... So we ask a question, which normally has got a little bit of psychological research behind it. Okay, not always, but sometimes. So we will ask people, the one that causes most controversy is, do you put the toilet roll this way up or this way up? <laughs> <laughs> a very important topic when at the beginning <laughs> yeah. of the lockdown, yes. yeah. And supposedly, supposedly is that if you do it over the top, you're slightly more assertive than if you do it underneath. But it's a joke in a way. It's just to get chatter between people. So we could ask, you know, do you think Federer or Nadal will win Wimbledon? You're just trying to get the team that's going to talk about it to have a point of discussion. And in a way, particularly with remote working, it replaces sort of water cooler chat, you know, which just happens naturally. And we just... So cool. We just throw in something fun. We're, we're a product about generating positive and happiness. So it felt like we should have a little bit of fun in the product. And so is it just measurement or, you know, so what if I tell you my week wasn't great? How does the tool help me? So then? we do ask people, what was the frustration? We ask people like, what's the success for you this week? Do you want to thank anybody? Because we know that appreciation and gratitude is really good from both sides. I feel good for thanking you. Feel good. And then we ask people, have you got a frustration? And what you basically want to do is get into that friction and flow. That what's going well is the flow, the friction, what's holding you back. So Teresa Rombley, who's worked, you'll surely know, with the progress principle, you know, she talked about that and keeping a diary. So she did this diary methodology, which she asked people each week, what was progress for you? What was frustration for you? And got the teams to work with that. And so, you know, we do, we, we sort of pick up that idea with text, which is saying, and it becomes much more actionable. So we 
feed it all back to the team, the team leader, the team to discuss on a Monday, and they can immediately pick up on what happened last week and you know tackle any frictions, deal with any flows. That's as simple as that. That's really. amazingly, interestingly simple. I mean, you know how how when we talk about individual happiness, we always say, "Hey, keep a gratitude journal or journal your events every every uh, evening." I actually think this is so interestingly effective because what you're saying is, first of all, I, I really like the idea of a week, not a day. I mean, at the end of the day, granularity can be too hectic and people basically drop it, right? And I like the idea that you're saying it's not just be grateful and look at the good things, but also if there are issues, surface them so that you can work on them, right? And normally people who are in the spirituality side of happiness will say, no, 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 no. Don't talk about the negative, you know. You just want to remember the positive. I actually really like that idea, you know, at the end of the week, you can sit down and say, hey, it wasn't my greatest week because this thing was not going great. What am I going to do about it next week? I think that's really an incredible idea. And to do it in groups is even more, I don't know, it's like almost like an invitation for transparency. It's very, very cool. I think authenticity is the most important thing. And I think it's respectful to respondents to know that people aren't going to have good weeks all the time. And in fact, the, by breaking it down into weekly, you allow people to say, this was a bad week, or this was a good week, or a great week. Yeah. And I think that's happiness, in my experience, ebbs and flows. We don't always have good experiences. And they're almost different wavelengths to happiness. From sort of in a morning, you can have like three peaks and three troughs to, a year or a decade, you know, we have bad decades. I had a bad decade, you know, Did you really? <laughs> you know in my life. But, well, you know, I mean, like you have too. It's like I had a divorce and difficult things, you know, and, you know, you can have difficult times in life, but that doesn't mean to say you're not going to come out of them. And yeah, so absolutely. in a way, by asking people regularly, it allows you to pick up those ups and downs. And of course, what you want is more good weeks than bad weeks, but it probably would be dysfunctional to have every week as great you probably are missing out on important information. So you're allowing for that space. <laughs> yeah, you're not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the group thing, the team thing is really, I think we're much more socially motivated than a lot of people realize. And so doing things together is very much a way of solving it. And in some ways, I think sometimes happiness at work gets too pushed on the individual. That's your responsibility, your choice we can all have choice even in systems not exactly of our choosing we have some agency but the system shapes us quite a lot and we have all had good work experiences and bad work experiences and the, the system will be, we'll be bringing ourselves to work but the system will be shaping that too so in a way if you can get the team to talk about it you start getting into how you make that system more supportive of good work and i know from my data that people are very, very uh, influenced by the people they work around, you know, that your, your happiness at work specifically will be very related to the happiness of your colleagues, and particularly the competency of the person that manages you. So that is very proximal. So let's not pretend there's one culture in an organisation, there's actually lots of microcultures across every team. But if you get the teams to be talking about their microculture, they can then self organized they can get themselves to you know to basically resolve the problems that they have and it gets rid of that problem you were saying about annual surveys whether you do them and then they take ages for anyone because they go through a hierarchical system we didn't this is very democratized it's very like here you go it's back to you so quite a lot of thought went into the design well it took me three goes this is the third iteration of products i've had in this area so yeah is this what you call friday one or friday one is another product 
this is Friday Pulse. So Friday one is basically what can we do for individuals and what can we do for free for individuals? And basically, so Friday one is a one-off snapshot of your personal happiness at work. And the idea is it's a self-reflection tool. And it's based on all of our research on what drives happiness at work. So people do a short five-minute questionnaire and then it gives them a report. So a bit like if you've ever done one of those fun what are they, 16 personality tests or whatever they are, you know, where they do a sort of Myers-Briggs on you, which are great fun. Not quite sure how actionable they are, but they're fun. It's a bit like that, but for your happiness at work. And so, you know, we wanted basically to be able to do something that is, our mission is to create a happier world of work. So what can we do for individuals that, you know, aren't paying? Well, we can do this and say, look, go and try it. And of course, there's a soft marketing message for us in the sense that of course, yeah. do it, and you understand what we do and maybe you want to buy our platform, but it's got its absolute, its own value in its own way. So I was very pleased to come up with a marketing strategy that got us to deliver on our mission. Even, <laughs> even I you think know, it's amazing. I really do. I honestly think this is amazing. So basically anyone listening can go and find Friday one. They can do their own analysis on their own happiness in their own work and basically get a flavor of what you do. Because I was I was going to say when I was asking, is this Friday one? I was going to say, I, I find what you're doing with what you call Friday Pulse really valuable. I think all companies should have something like this. Really simple way to understand the state of happiness in your organization. It's part of the culture. It's integrated into, into the work that you do. You know, they discuss it on Monday, as you said. But I was wondering in my mind, but not every company will want to pay or will be able to pay, especially at those times. So Friday one is how people can get that. Where can they find it, Nick? Yeah, so it's just fridayone.com where one is O-N-E. So it's it's spelled okay. and, you know, yeah, and it's one because it's an individual and one because it's a one of time. I'm not sure it's the best name, but it's what, but it's what it is. <laughs> I'm going to do it actually myself and then text you and say, oh man, I am in a very bad place. <laughs> no, probably not. So um, you said you base this on the five ways of happiness at work. What are the five yeah. ways of happiness at work? So we, we frame these as positive actions that can happen at a team or organizational level. And they are connect, be fair, empower, challenge, inspire. So connect is about relationships. Fairness is about the system but it's about sort of work-life balance feeling respected that sort of stuff empowerment is daniel pink would call it uh, autonomy he called it autonomy so it's basically autonomy challenge is his mastery so challenge is about learning development and inspire is sort of meaning and purpose and and so those five ways are all things that teams can do and they are connected to sort of positive emotions in the sense that when we think of happiness we can think of it as sort of a way into a whole space of positive emotions but they're actually quite different positive emotions so you can have ones like inspire or awe or wonder which is sort of about the inspire you can have them curiosity interest which are about the learning the the challenge you can have them about enthusiasm or whatever like that which is you know you're you're basically feeling energized to be autonomous you can have them about your connections can be about laughter it can be about bonding gratitude or you know it's about being fair to people appreciating other people so they connect to that whole array of positive emotions, which if you're a team leader at work, that's really where you want your team. You want your team to be not happy as in happy, clappy all the time, but happy as in moving around that space of positive emotions. So being curious when they need to be, being really focused and interested when they need to be, having fun together some of the time, because that creates the bonds that actually starts to 
create the collaboration that you need. Feeling content sometimes because things are going well, things are fair, you feel it's okay. So all of those emotions are really what we're trying to tap into because emotions are energy. And that's what you're trying to do at the team level from a functional perspective is help people be energized at work and, and enjoy their work. You know, what's really interesting about those five is they remind me of the five you said on your TED talk, and I'll come back to that. Yes, you, yeah. you said those five that are that will lead to your happiness and will cost you nothing and cost the planet nothing, right? Here as well, I don't know if that, if creating an environment where those five, you know, connect and inspire and, and, and learn and so on, I don't know if that costs the company anything. In an interesting way, it's almost trivial to not include that. It's stupid not to include that into your practices, really. It doesn't cost much. I mean, the only thing it costs is time and focus. And of course, time is partly a business cost, but you're not talking about much time. I mean, like a good team leader will perhaps have a one-to-one -one with you every week or every month, you know, so it does take some time, but it doesn't take a lot of money. It's just sitting down and asking good questions and listening. You know, it's listening, isn't it? That's particularly critical in a, in a report and management relationship. So these things don't, cost hardly anything and you know and actually you'd be much better off spending your budget on having teams talk each week than a big party once a year i agree 100 percent. or free pizzas and pool tables not that i'm against free pizza and pool tables but it's like they're not <laughs> going to solve they're not going to solve totally dysfunctional agree. teams they're nice extra trimmings which is great and organizations spend an awful lot on reward and bonus schemes i think they should spend a fraction on this and they get a much better return on investment that's amazing. I mean, of course, I've spent most of my life, the other part of my life is work. And I absolutely agree. You know, rewards, of course, they need to be sufficient. But beyond that, they don't create happiness, right? You know, they need to be fair. But beyond that, they don't create happiness. And somehow the simplest things, really, an environment where people can feel inspired and learning and, you know, connecting and feel accepted. These are really the things that, that create a happy place. Do you believe that an individual can apply this to the, to himself despite the company? So if an individual goes to work and decides, you know what, I'm going to focus on my learning, I'm going to focus on connecting and so on, does an individual get a happier, you know, feel happier at work as a result? Yeah, as I said, I think we can all do things about our own happiness at work and we can start to live in spirit of these and, and we become sort of... Um, there's some contagion to it in the sense that if we model good behavior ourselves, other people around us are going to like it and, and mimic us in the, in the best sense of the word. So yes, there's definitely things in it, but some systems are so distorted that you're better off getting out of them. That's certainly also Ooh. true. Like that, that has to be true. And, and some are about a bad fit for you. Some about want to get a new challenge, but you know, if you're in a current environment and you haven't got any promotion prospects and you're not being learned, challenged and stretched, and you don't believe in the product you're selling, you're probably better off moving and finding something that you do believe in, you know? So there's different possibilities, but you know, I think that it also gives people something to talk about. I mean, we say people can do this if they want to, but you could take your Friday one to your line manager and go, look, I've done this test. And if you all can feel open and transparent about what you're doing, you, your line manager will probably look at you and go, well, okay, what can we do about you learning more? Or what can we do about, you know, these things? And that's really the idea of it is, I don't want to be wrong, but I'm much more interested in being useful than, than right to lots of decimal places. I've done statistics to lots of decimal places, and if they, they actually put people off. And I'm, I'm much more interested in creating statistical instruments that actually help people reflect and, and make better lives for themselves or their team. That's amazing. I love this. I have to say, I have been always so inspired by the five things that you said 
you know, lead to happiness but not harm the planet. Let me see if I remember them. They were connect, move, learn. Uh, two more. You give me one and I'll give you one. Connect, move, learn. Uh, give. 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 Yes, give was the last one. Yes. Okay. And, and, <laughs> and one more. Take notice in the middle. Just take notice yes, yes, yes. in the middle. Take so, notice. Yes, it's what's the mindfulness one. So once again, those blew me away. I'm, I'm probably going to borrow this and put it on an Instagram poster, tag you or something. Because really, move, be active, right? Connect to people and be social. Learn. And you, you position it as more like curiosity, not learning. None of those cost anything, right? Pay attention. That doesn't cost anything. Giving, yeah debatable because some people will say it costs you, but some people will say karma will give you back more. I mean, it's so interesting. Tell me, how did you, how did you define those five? Like, why didn't you say surf or, you know, go to the pub or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there's a short answer and there's a very long answer. So, I mean, the short answer is that we won a project, which was to, to create the equivalent of five fruit and vegetables a day, but for well-being, And it was with the UK government office oh. of science. That's really interesting. Five a day. Yeah. And the idea was that five is already a healthy number and it's about the right length of list. So we wanted to create five. And I mean, I pitched this project. I basically pitched it as we're doing a measurement project. So what you really need is the equivalent of five fruit and vegetables a day to this UK civil servant. He goes, oh, that's really interesting. You know, and give you a budget to do something like that. But the longer answers goes back to actually one of my mentors in life. So in my early 90s, I worked with a Chilean professor called Manfred Max Neef. And he's an ecological economist. He sadly passed away when he, it was his time. He was 85 or whatever. But he was a very brilliant thinker. And he used to use the language of human needs. He used to say that we have a certain set of needs. And then we have what he called satisfiers of those needs. And his distinction was that needs are universal, but satisfiers are culturally specific, individually specific. You have as many satisfiers as you want. And that splitting was really, really helpful. And the five ways structure is the same in that sense we're saying there are these universal activities you can do, connect, be active, take notice, keep learning, give. But you can do those in masses of ways and you can find your own way of doing them. You know, I'm not a very fast creature. I'm a slow moving creature. So for <laughs> me, my be active is walking or swimming. You know, it's not going to be running. It's not going to be. But that's OK. You know, and, and take notice doesn't have to be mindfulness and meditation. It can be going for a walk or, or an, you know, an artistic practice or something where you're really getting into the, that flow feeling that you get when you do that. So it gives people the whole variety of ways of actually doing it. And so that structure, which I think is very powerful, it means that people can see themselves in it. It means, oh, I see that. Yeah. And this is what I do. And I think that's what we were trying to do was to give, not tell people what to do, but invite them into a space where they can try things. That's what very much I was trying to do with them. Do you struggle with any of the five? I mean, is... I mean, be active is my first struggle. With <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know uh, connecting, I'm very sociable giving my you know in a sense I'm a generous person with spirit of meaning as I've sort of you know I'll, I'll have time for people learning is great hands down yeah you learn all be the active time. you know I'm 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 a lazy one <laughs> and I I'm very I very much like the data though as long as you don't smoke smoking is so bad for you and it's not even very nice smoking is it but actually it's amazing how much the population is really inactive and I'm not one of the very inactive people there's about 30% of the population that hardly move from the sofa and that they hardly, they probably use 10% more calories a day than they would do if they were sat down all day. 
I do walk, I do move around, so I'm not terrible, but I'm definitely not in the top half. <laughs> I think you're reminding me, so I'm, I'm not very inactive, but of course, uh, you know, with COVID and with my multiple responsibilities, I'm really sitting on a chair. Yeah. Probably 10 hours a day, you know, which is very unhealthy. So I think when we're, we're done with our conversation, I'm going to the gym. And I, you know, I think, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how active I will be there, but I will do something. I will do something. And Nick, I don't know how to thank you. I, this really is a delightful, lightweight for a statistician conversation. And it's really informative. I'm, I really wish you all the success. I invite everyone to go and try Friday One. I think it's a fantastic tool. And I actually invite all of the leaders uh, that, you know, business leaders that are listening to perhaps look at further ideas like Friday Pulse and others to, to really try and make happiness some kind of a priority. Can I ask you one last question before we close? Why should people care? Like, honestly, it's like if people are delivering at work, why does happiness matter at all? Why do you measure it? Well, I mean, for me, there's a sort of mission part of that, which is I just think, we should try and help people live good lives. But as in just purely financially, then we know that when people are happier that they, they sell better, they negotiate better, they collaborate better, they're more creative, and they're more loyal. They're more likely to stay with you so that the investment you make in your employees, which is often considerable, you get longer time to pay back. I mean, people should think about the lifetime value of an employee as well as the lifetime value of a customer. And, you know, if you, people stay four years instead of three because they love the job, you've got a lot more value out of them. That alignment is just such a win-win-win here, which is good for the individual, it's good for the team, it's good for the organisation. And in fact, I would go as far as it's good for society because if people enjoy their work, they're going to be less sick. I think they're going to make better decisions. And if we think about climate change and other things that we're going to have to cope with over the next 50 years, people who feel secure in themselves are going to be able to better make those transitions so i just think there's wins all the way around with this and so i just try and make it a really obvious choice so that people can't disagree with it <laughs> you know because it to me it's good and it gets rid of the sort of i mean i don't really understand how we've created a society where people are free independent citizens in their private lives and then they have to do what they're told at work it seems a bit funny i think we should be working more with the human spirit and how do people create their own work and work well together it doesn't mean to say we don't do work you know you can't have happy unproductive teams they go out of business but if you've got productive unhappy teams they fall apart they're not they're not sustainable either so i think having happy productive teams is the best way forward well i rest my case i've been fighting for that for years i have to admit and it's not employee satisfaction it's not employee productivity it is happiness and of course it's difficult to measure happiness and so this is why people wouldn't always find it a second nature to put their money behind it but i think the idea is just look at your happy colleagues and look at how people love them and how they work with them and how their clients call them you know and not avoid them and how they can you know ask for something from the client and the client will do it it's just really really a no-brainer but somehow we just put our heads down and we think that we're running a, a factory uh, and you know we need to just put yeah. in people from one side and get results from the other i'm what can I say? Amen. I think that's the, uh, that's the way to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nick, you're wonderful. It's been wonderful to connect again. Let's not keep it for two and a half years this no. time. Let's get together, I hope, a little sooner. 
And yeah, I'm really, really, really grateful for your time and your delightful lightness. I think it's really wonderful that uh, we had this conversation. Thank you very much for asking me on. It's been a joy, joy. And it's just nice to yeah, reconnect with a fellow traveler on these paths. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Happiness ambassadors. Let's not call them fighters. Yeah. Th thanks so much, Nick. Thank you very, very much. I think there is so much. I mean, Nick's way as a statistician is uh, quick and fast and fact driven, but I know Nick personally, and I think uh, his work is amazing, especially his attempt to make happiness at work predictable is quite remarkable. Do have a look at his TED Talk if you haven't. He has several, but the most famous was the uh, Happy Index Planet. And uh, yeah, give a Friday one a try. I think it's, uh, it is worth your time. It's your free tool to understand your state, your own state of happiness at work. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Do please get in touch if you think there is something I can do to make this better. Mo underscore Gaudet at uh, Instagram, uh, Mo Gaudet on LinkedIn, uh, mo.gaudet.official on Facebook, and mgaudet on Twitter. Happy to answer any questions or requests that you send me. And uh, yeah, please do me a favor and help me spread this podcast as far and wide as you can. Tell your friends about it. I know you have been, but maybe there are those two more friends that you have forgotten to tell. So call them, tell them, listen and discuss some episodes with them. And, uh, you know, if you haven't done so already, please do rate the podcast of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you're using an Apple uh, product, it does help a lot in uh, getting more and more high-profile thinkers to be guests on uh, the show, but it also tells others that this is something that is worth their time. With that, I am very grateful that you joined us today. I love you all so much for giving me the alibi to interview my guests. And do remember that regardless of how busy your day is, how full your agenda might be, there is always time to slow down. Love you all for listening and I'll see you next time.